We are in um, our series called Path of Contentment, where we have been talking about, once again, as we are approaching the holiday season, what it looks like for us to enter into not only this season, but our lives with this idea of contentment. We get this idea, we get this shift in thinking from the Apostle Paul, who is the author of a lot of what is our New Testament, second half of our Bibles. In Philippians, he says that he has learned the secret to be content in any and all circumstances, which is a very provocative thing to say. And if you just sit with that for even a moment and think back to maybe the last time you consciously or subconsciously felt discontent, and maybe it was this morning, (laughs) and maybe it was yesterday, and maybe it was a particular season in your life where you were just not feeling it. Um, Paul says that there's a secret out there. Paul says that there is a possibility in our lives where we can feel and experience what contentment is in any and all circumstances. That's not to say that we're never sad again, and that's not to say that we're never um, angry or upset or anxious again. Contentment finds its core in the fact that the Lord is near and that that is enough. That's where contentment begins. And so we've been having a conversation over the last several weeks about that. Uh, The first time we gathered around this conversation, we we found peace and rest in the fact that the Lord is, in fact, near. And because of that, we can be gentle. That's what Paul says, is that our gentleness can be evident to all through this, through this idea of contentment. Last week, if you were here, we looked at um, other words from Paul where he talks about um, this idea between things being permissible but not beneficial. How we have the freedom to probably and mostly do whatever, but not all of that would actually be constructive or beneficial to us. And so we talked about that tension and how maybe sometimes when we feel discontentment or when we feel anxiousness, we are actually experiencing the fruit of um, having gone out and found something or pursued something that maybe we just didn't need. Um, And so we talked about freedom versus responsibility and things like that. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about one particular word that is very much the, the concept of this word, the word itself and the concept of this word is very much rooted in our scriptures. However, I feel that maybe over the last 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and perhaps longer, this word, and once again, the concept of this word has been, um, I guess the best, the best word that I could think of to describe it is, is held captive by perhaps a, a, a more loud and dominant culture the word is blessed, or the concept of, of blessing. Um, Tom just said, 
hashtag blessed. That might not mean anything to you, and honestly, that's okay. Um, but it, it communicates this idea that um, it's just very, very easy to say, man, I'm blessed. Um, around big things, small things, all, all sorts of, of areas in our life. But we're going to be talking about that word. I want to, I want to present this question um, to you all, and, and that question is, what does it mean to be blessed? And once again, we're keeping this conversation through the lens of contentment, and I think that we could make those words synonymous or, or close, close to, maybe cousins, is that if we are experiencing contentment, then perhaps it would be quite easy for us also to say, I am blessed. We are blessed. So if I were to ask, do you feel blessed? If I were to ask anyone, not just you, anyone, and then that person was to say yes, and then I were to ask, why do you feel that way? Why are you blessed? I think there are deep cultural correlations between blessing and possession. I think it is far more easy for people to say, man, I'm blessed, when you have uh, what you think that you need, um, what maybe what we think we want. There are traces of that line of thinking, blessing equaling stuff, the haves. There are traces of that that can be found in what <laughs> I have a, a four, four hyphenated word here on my notes, pop prosperity, televangelist, religion. You could turn on certain programming. You could find yourself reading certain books where you are living into the abundance that God wants you to be living in, and you are blessed when you have, and then fill in the blank. If we follow along with that line of thinking... This leaves no hope for the have-nots. <laughs> and this leaves no hope for the people who maybe have less than someone else. We can make a quick leap, track with me, I know you all are. We can make a quick leap from there, go from contentment to blessing, blessing, possessions, possessions, what we have been calling the American dream. And you may or may not be familiar with that phrase, but it's this idea that anything can happen here. And um, in many ways, if you look at how we fall into the landscape of the rest of the world, it does seem that way, that there's a lot more opportunity afforded to people here than perhaps those that live in other countries. But a way that we can define the American dream and this is historically, this, this might not be what you're experiencing now, but it's essentially a rags-to-riches mentality. It's this idea that someone could come here from another country with a quarter in their pocket and a coat on their back and end up having a small business and raising their family and spurring on multiple generations from their family. And some of you may have a genealogy that's rooted in that story 
of there was a time where ancestors did not live here. And, you know, maybe more recently, of course, there was a time for all of us. But um, it's this rags to riches. It's this, at one point in my life, I didn't have much. Now I have stuff. And that's how we gauge American dream, possession, blessing, contentment. I, I want to present to you that this is flawed on several levels, um, the first of which is something I've already mentioned. There's no hope for the have-nots. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I want us to perhaps disconnect this morning is, is we can't associate blessing with stuff because there are plenty of people that um, perhaps have less than, than other people. It's very interesting uh, place that I find myself in my work at Dream Center Peoria, which is just a few blocks away. Twice a month, we, are, we have a hope store that's open. Free clothing, coats, housewares, things of that nature. And quite literally, people who do not even have a home walk in for uh, a coat or something like that. And uh, when they leave, they say to me, uh, man, I, this is just such a blessing. I'm, I'm so blessed. You, you have a blessed day they say to me. Um, now, is it tongue-in-cheek or is it sincerity? That's not for me to decide. But at the very least, those words are coming out of those people's mouth. These people who, um, on the surface, simply do not have a lot. Um, but they, I would say, are probably the most blessed. Because for them, they look at life through a completely different set of lens lenses, they, they say um, every morning, man, I'm breathing and I'm awake. And that's where it begins. Um, and it's just a marvelous thing to be able to interact with people who have that mentality. Uh, another reason that this is flawed thinking, and, and this is where we get into resource number one this morning, is that um, having stuff quite literally doesn't always solve problems for us. Um, I'd like to read out of a book. It's called Becoming Whole. Listen to this subtitle. Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream. <laughs> Ooh, this, is, this is good stuff. Um, it's a Christian guy. His name's Brian. Wrote this book. He's actually going to be in Peoria in a few weeks uh, doing a conference. That's why I'm reading this book ahead of time so I can ask him questions about his book if I happen to have any. Um, in this particular section of the book, he spends some time uh, referencing different research and studies that pretty much explain that this country is more depressed and lonely than we have ever been ever. How's that for a, <laughs> how's that for a lovely thought? Uh, just research that has been done over the last however many years, and you would find all of those metrics in this book that at this moment in our history, over the full swath of the population, people generally find themselves more depressed and or lonely than ever before. So this is what he has to say in light of those findings. If you picked up this book because you want to learn how to alleviate poverty more effectively, you may be wondering why we started off describing these disturbing trends in American culture. Why aren't we talking about poor people <laughs> and how to help them? 
We believe these disturbing trends reveal a tragic irony in our poverty alleviation efforts. On one hand, many of us can sense that there is something wrong with both, both Western civilization and the Western church. This, once again, is coming from a Christian, so don't get all offended. We can tell they aren't working, and we don't like who we've become. On the other hand, the unstated assumption behind most of our poverty alleviation efforts is that the goal is to make poor people just like us. That hits heavy. We implicitly believe that we have exactly what the poor need, so we try to turn Uganda into the United States and America's inner cities into affluent suburbs. Therefore, we design our poverty alleviation initiatives, our interventions, our operations, our staffing, our funding, our marketing, our measurements, and our goals to help poor people pursue the American dream. But why would we want to do that? We are not okay. You can feel it, and we can feel it. As we will see later in the book, as poor people become more like us, they can feel it too. The American dream is the wrong story for both poor people and people who are not. We all need a different story, a better story, for the stories we believe profoundly shape us, impacting every aspect of our lives, including even the innermost aspect of our bodies and our souls. If we are trying to live out the wrong story, one that doesn't fit who we really are as creatures, we simply cannot flourish. It's like being miscast for a role in a movie. No matter how hard you try to play the role, it just doesn't work. Those are some heavy words, but that's why we started this whole conversation last week and the week before talking about our natural wiring as people and how that might not align to the values and morals that you see being lived out around you. And the third reason why blessing and contentment and possession and American dream should not all be wrapped up together is because blessing, defined in that way, is profoundly different from Jesus' understanding of blessing. And this is where we dive right into our scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Um, has anyone found it in one of the table Bibles? What, what page you got? 1505. Thank you so much. If you're using one of those Bibles, 1505. This begins what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been in and out of church for a while, you might be familiar with um, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is doing a lot of teaching um, about, about different things. So if I could read um, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, this is what we generally call the Beatitudes. Um, another way that we could say that is the congratulations, <laughs> um, so to speak. Um, so this is Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. The Beatitudes really begin in verse 3, but it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. He, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So I'll stop right there. 
fun little connection. This is very reminiscent of the Ten Commandments scene when Moses is on Mount Sinai or, or comes down from Mount Sinai. So there's a lot of imagery that's taking place here, a lot of profound imagery that some people may have picked up on when this was happening, and we have all picked up on it this morning, and that's a very beautiful thing. Okay, continuing. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or we could say justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness or justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, <laughs> oh man, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you, and this is, these are Jesus' words, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to uh, talk a little bit about the word that Jesus is using there. Um, some of you may tune out when I, when I say uh, something to the effect of uh, the Greek <laughs> translation. Of course, our Bibles were written not in English first. Believe it or not, English has not been around that long. Um, uh, a lot of Aramaic, a lot of Hebrew, a lot of Greek were the original languages that our Bibles were written in. Sometimes it really is very helpful to do just really small word studies on some of the words that we read, of course, in English, but have gone through dozens of languages and a couple of centuries of translation. Um, it's like, you know that game Telephone, when you're in a circle with people, and one person says something, and they whisper it in the other, and then you see if you've you got it at the end of the... So that for 2,000 years, okay? Um, and, and many languages as well. So it's important for us to do studies like this sometimes. The word that we read in the scriptures as blessed, blessed are you, is the Greek word markarius. And I'd like to read a little bit about that word here um, in, a, in a little commentary resource that I have. If I could find the... Here we go. Okay, markarius describes the joy that its secret is that it comes from within itself. It is a joy that is untouchable. It is a joy that is self-contained and completely independent of the chances and changes of life. The English word happiness gives its own case away. It contains the root HAP, H-A-P, which means chance. Human happiness is something which is dependent on the changes and choices of life. The Christian blessedness, however, is completely untouchable and, um, you know, unaffectable, essentially, is what he's saying. 
No one, says Jesus, will take your joy from you. He says this in John chapter 16. The Beatitudes speak that of a joy which seeks us through our pain. A joy which sorrow and loss and pain and grief are powerless to touch that joy which shines through tears is what William Barclay has to say to us this morning. If you pick up on nothing else, pick up on the idea that this word blessed that Jesus happens to use in the Beatitudes has nothing to do with the physical realm. When you read poor in spirit, mourn, meek, merciful, pure in heart, those are all things that begin in the heart and in the mind. Those are all non-physical mindset shifts that, as, as Barclay says this morning, a blessedness that is not contingent on anything that could happen to you in life. I've done a bit of research, and I'll do a little bit of interpretive work and some paraphrasing, but I'm going to read through the Beatitudes with perhaps a little bit more substance to help us better understand some of the things that are being said and the implications of what's being said. So allow me to, to read this for us this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their own helplessness and have put their entire trust in God, those who don't play the games of the rat race of the world, those who don't put their hope in their reputation. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are desperately sorry for the suffering in the world, those who feel and see injustice, and they lament it. Blessed are the meek, those who are gentle, those who aren't attached to anything, those who have their passions and impulses under control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, those who never allow themselves to be completely satisfied because of their awareness of the wrong that exists around them. Blessed are the merciful, those who can only comprehend forgiveness as a proper response to others. Blessed are the merciful, those who can only comprehend forgiveness as a possible response to others. Those who get their energy from forgiving others. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have unmixed and clean motives. Those who find the goodness of God anywhere they look. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who intentionally work towards reconciliation, those who walk a nonviolent path and embody gentleness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of justice, those who press on towards good deeds and bring about fairness and justice in the world despite opposition or despite a hard go at it. I don't, know, I don't know the last time you said that you were blessed and why you said it, but for me, it was none of those reasons. 
I, I never sat down once and said, man, I am blessed because I was able to forgive that person who I normally would not have forgiven. But that's the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about. When, when you go home and, and just something triggered your emotion, um, maybe you saw something on the television or you saw something as you were driving down the street, and what you saw, man, just broke your heart. And that's happened to a lot of us. I don't know if our first reaction is, man, I am blessed. That I was able to recognize that pain that's, that's happening in the world. But that's the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about. This is why it's so important for us to have this conversation. It was a little bit, I know it was a little bit top shelf this morning. And I know I was able to get kind of nerdy with you this morning. But the reason that it's important for us to have this conversation is because anyone can fall into that category of being blessed. And it's an, even more con- it's an even more important conversation than that, than just leaving it there, is because the, 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 the original people who heard that message for the first time were those who were looked down on by the broader society because they had so little. Um, there were mentalities and ideologies and methodologies that existed during Jesus' ministry that said, if you live on that side of the train tracks versus that side, then you are literally what they thought, you're just a sinner because you live there. Could you, could you believe that? What if someone said that about our neighborhood? The neighborhood, I'm not even talking about the neighborhood Reachway's in. The neighborhood that you live in. What if just because you were there and that's all you could swing, someone said, you're, you're a sinner just because you live there. That's how it was. Or you don't have enough food to eat, you must be a sinner. Or, or your grandparents must have sinned. It's because you don't have enough food. Or you're sick or you're paralyzed or you have leprosy. Well, then you sinned or someone you know must have sinned. You see how Jesus flips all of that upside down. And he says, you know, you might not have a lot, but do you recognize the injustice in the world? Blessed are you. Congratulations. (laughs) When you lay your head down at night and you're eaten up inside, congratulations. You're blessed. When you went so wildly out of your comfort zone in order to make amends with someone that you know, and it gave you so much anxiety leading up to the moment, and it caused you so much internal grief, congratulations. You're blessed. And then he stops with, when you make efforts towards justice, when you see that your neighbor is being shorted and so you physically do something to show and express love to your neighbor and it's hard and it makes you so uncomfortable, congratulations, you're blessed. And when you try, and when you try, and when you try, 
and what you feel like should be happening doesn't happen. Congratulations. You're blessed. This is what Jesus says. These are tough words. I don't like them. (laughs) It is so, so much easier to see something and turn a blind eye. It is so much easier to be wronged by someone and just not forgive them. It is so much easier to see maybe two friends or two relatives just have the biggest quarrel you've ever seen. And it is so much easier to to not say, hey, how about the three of us get coffee and figure this out? So much easier to do that. But I think when Jesus, we've talked about what Jesus says in John chapter 10, where he says that he came down to earth so that we could experience what it means to have life to the fullest. When we're not experiencing discomfort, when we're not experiencing a bit of sorrow, a bit of lament, we're not experiencing all that life has to offer. And we're not finding God in all of the different places that we can find God. Do you know that you can find God anywhere? I believe that. I I really do. I believe that in your frustration, you can find God. And I believe that in your strife and in your sorrow and in your tiredness, you can find God. I really do. I really do believe that. I think I've said enough. But now is a time for you all to share amongst yourselves. Um, I didn't print out. Wayne, if I could borrow, borrow this from you real quick. A couple of questions here um, for, for you all to kick around. Um, also, could be worth saying, don't feel like you have to progress through these in order of how they appear on the paper. And also don't feel like you have to get through all of them. If, uh, if you find your table just stuck on one, on one question, hey, stay there. Keep having the conversation. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So, so let this be more of a guide rather than instructions, if that makes sense. The first question is, what is one thing so far that has been said or read that has stuck out to you? Believing that something has. Up until today... What are the moments in life where you would consider yourself blessed? Do you find it easier or more freeing for the type of blessing Jesus talks about to begin with our mind and our heart postures, or does that complicate things for you? Do you desire the type of blessing Jesus refers to in the Beatitudes? How can we pursue those kinds of blessings? And what is something that you are going to give more thought to this week? Um, at the very least, I would love, if, if you're comfortable with doing so, everyone to, to respond to that first and last question, something that stuck out, because I bet someone else at your table will agree with you. And what are you going to be thinking about this week? I think are two really good questions. Um, there's, there's three in between there that you're welcome to talk about. Let's take the next seven to ten minutes before we... Uh, share communion together and uh, talk to